0: And good morning, everybody, and welcome to the studio here on Triple H 100.1 FM. You're listening to Small Biz Matters broadcasting here live and across the community radio network all around Australia. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm your host, Alexi Boyd. I think I've said that three times now. And um, we really, I'm really excited about today's program, actually. I've waited a long time to have the lovely Sarah Harding across from me, who's going to impart an extraordinary amount of knowledge in regards to not only her area of expertise, but also her life experience her generational experience and what she's doing now to actually change the face of her business and evolve. And I think that's something we need to get a little bit better at as small businesses is tapping into the different resources that are available to us, particularly when it comes to our personal brand. So marketing, it's not lo- no longer about printing off some flyers and popping them in letterboxes. My God, when I think of that, it's actually been quite a number of decades since it's been that. But it's also about your online presence and some people can find that really confronting because they might automatically think, well, you know, there's, there's some dark corners out there and I don't want those to get out. But you can curate and you can control the content that's out there about you as a business owner and you putting forward your expertise. And Sarah Harding from Why Advice has done a great job with putting that together in an extraordinarily short amount of time actually. And we're going to talk to her about her process and a little bit about what she does and why she's so passionate about small business. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Now. Um, Well you and I met at at a a meetup group which you run and um, let me just say first of all that I was super impressed with the way that the meetup group itself was run and just um, the professionalism behind that. Now we're going to talk a little bit later in the program about how you ran those and how they lead into your profile but give me an indication as to why you're so passionate about small business and where you've come from to get to where you are today. Cool.
1: Okay. Well, um, I guess it started with my grandparents who were entrepreneurs. So um, in Manly back in the 60s, they started the first dive school because my um, granddad uh, was a diver, obviously. So I guess from a younger age, um, you just become interested in what business is, how it affects families. um, You know, what is it? Um, And then I guess from there... My grandparents sort of instilled those values into my into my dad. So, uh, my mum and dad have owned businesses um, throughout most of my life. Um, quite a few. They've been successful in some and unsuccessful in others. So, um, I've got a really great background of of what small business is and what sort of drives that, and some of the challenges that uh, it can present. So, I guess. Having that experience growing up that's sort of instilled into me um you know seeing what it can actually or the effects that it can actually have on your community um and how it can it, it can let you sort of live your passion and your dreams and how how it can actually affect that. So I guess from there, that's why I decided to start my business, which um, I've been around for about three or four years now um, Mm -hmm. as Advice, a financial advisor, and um, really passionate about helping small business owners and entrepreneurs because of my background, um, helping them understand their numbers, helping them get sort of set up with that and um, giving them that peace of mind so that they can actually run their businesses more
0: effectively. And that's very true. Because I think with that experience that you've got, it's a very holistic. Uh, overarching view if I guess if you 're watching several generations go through several and i 'm presuming they 're kind of different businesses they mm. weren 't all under the same line of things, and you would go through the ebb and the flow of the emotional roller coaster that can be that in a family definitely uh, <laughs> and I presume you 've got siblings as well, and they they you all went through that together no i 'm actually an only child oh. so i think um what what do you think what difference do you think that made
1: well I think that meant that um the way I sort of see it is with my family business, if something goes wrong there, it all sort of come back, comes back to me. So mm-hmm. if I distance myself from that, then my parents really won't have anyone else that can that can help them. So I think you just naturally take on a bit more responsibility and understanding about you know what it is their venture venture does and, um, how it is that that's affecting their lives. So, um, I thought it, yeah, for, for myself, like, I think if I had brothers and sisters, maybe I wouldn't have been so involved in the business. Mm. Um, maybe I wouldn't have taken that level of interest, but, uh, because it was just me, I, sort of got that opportunity so.
0: Let's talk about that disassociation just because before the program you and I were talking about the importance of removing yourself and distancing yourself from your business almost on an emotional level. Mm. Um, You've obviously sort of gained those skills as you went along to help so that you could be a support without being involved. That's kind of interesting skill set that you you brought along the way. Mm. Why do you think in your opinion dealing with lots of different businesses across lots of different sectors Mm. it is so important to you know have that arm's length away from the business itself as a person?
1: Um, well, I guess it really depends on the type of business that you want to build. So from my experience, there's experience. There's two types. So there's the solopreneur. So somebody that really wants to use their skills and their passion um, to create a job for themselves, which gives them a certain lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really sort of want to focus on that. So um, I guess the present challenge of that is understanding that uh, you may not actually have an asset to sell, um, and so that you can retire. So. Um and if you stop putting money into your super fund, then there's also a big risk there that um, you know you, you may love what you do, but you never may, never may be able to stop that. So it's just being aware that um, if that's sort of the path for you and your business, you need to have a really good financial strategy outside of that to make sure that you've got options um, down the track. So it's, I guess, it's focusing on the short term, but also being aware of the long term as well, and sort of not sticking your head in the sand. The second type of business I saw from my family was an entity by itself. So it's building an organisation which is profitable. Um, You may potentially have staff. It obviously gives you um, cash to you know to, to live on and have a certain lifestyle. But at the same time, the idea of running a business like that is so that you can build an asset base. You can sell that asset base, and whatever money you've got left over can either be your retirement savings or can give you a decent you know decent lifestyle or whatever you're looking to do. So so I guess with that, um, you've really got to take your emotions out of that because those types of businesses have many challenges, some which are a result of you, but some are a result of something else or with outside of your control. So you've really got to manage that and, um, you know, work with advisors, work with professionals to make sure that the time and effort you're putting into that type of business, you're actually going to seek that reward later on. And that's going to give you options in your life. So, so I think from looking at it, from that perspective, for, for two different types of businesses, it's just being aware that business is obviously about living your passion, um, doing what you're great at, and uh, you know helping others, influencing others, providing a product or service. But at the same time, just being aware how that affects your life, how it affects your family, and making sure that you you're not just focusing on the short term because it's. So easy just to focus on the short term sometimes, especially if you need to, you know, um, you know, pay your bills next week or go on that holiday next month. But just be aware that the decisions you're making today
0: and the lifestyle you're building for yourself both have an outcome. Hopefully, our listeners out there have been able to listen to what you just said because I really like the idea of being able to distinguish. Obviously, there's others, but I really like the idea of dis- distinguishing between the either the solopreneur building a job, making a life for yourself around your skill set versus the, you know, the the person who owns a business and an asset and and, and the importance of understanding the difference long term. Yeah, yep. Yeah, you've either got something you're going to be able to sell or you're doing something you're going to have to stop doing. Yeah, at some point. So I think, I think that's a really, really great piece of advice. And I suppose um, when people are looking for a great financial planner in those circumstances, what sort of questions should they be asking? What should they expect back from that financial advisor um, to, to answer the questions, the long-term questions? Well, I guess when choosing a financial advisor, it's one about you've
1: got to have really great rapport with that person. I think you really need to, to like the person. That definitely goes well because you're not going to take advice from someone you don't like. Yeah. Um, you've got to trust that person. So if me myself was looking for a financial advisor... I'd probably look at their background. So where have they come from? What are their qualifications? What experiences have they had in their personal and professional lives? Because I think that plays a big part in the type
0: of advisor that they're going to be. Could I ask you a question on that? Do you think it's absolutely crucial that they have themselves run businesses? Do you think that's really important? Um, I think I actually do
1: um, or had some connection to business because unless you've been there and done it and had that experience i don't know if you'd have the same level of empathy for your clients especially when they're going through their challenges you i feel that you need to actually be able to relate to them and understand what they're going through and then provide solutions and guidance to get them through those times um because in business, there's many, many challenges that come up. And if you've got that really strong relationship and rapport with your advisor, your client needs to be able to contact you and have that heart to heart. If something's gone wrong at home or the children are struggling or something's happening, like, so you need to have that, that
0: connection with them. You need to be able to pick up the phone and be really honest. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and yep. it's not it's not the same relationship as you might have with, <coughs> say, a business advisor, because these are the people who are thinking of it long term, where yeah. a, a business coach might only think of the next you know uh, you know the next year or so. Mm. <coughs> Sorry, coughing. Um, so, th- I mean, that's a really that's a really good a, a tip for engaging with a, a financial advisor. Where do you, Where do you find one? Good question.
1: <laughs> I'd um so I guess it depends on your generation because if you're a little bit older, um I'd probably still say word of mouth is one of the strongest ways and referrals are actually one of the strongest ways to um to find an appropriate advisor. So like if a, a friend of a friend has a really great advisor that they're speaking about, maybe check that out if they're in a similar situation to you. Um, if you're a millennial, so a bit younger like myself, um, I think online's a, a great way to find out about, um, you know, an advisor. Um, you can then sort of have a look at their background, how active they are online as well, and um, make that assessment as to sort of how how they've positioned themselves online. Um, but I still think, like, even for my clients, the strongest relationships that I have Um, are referrals from from clients because they've spoken about me. They know Mm. what I do. They know how I assist and then they talk to their friends about about Mm. what that is. And most of the time their friends are having similar challenges. So
0: um, it just fits. So you need to find someone who's probably um, specialised and worked with people in a similar circumstance such as yourself. Don't talk to, you know, if you're a consultant, maybe don't talk to the plumber about who he goes to when he doesn't have any kids and you've got adult children now and trying to think of something 10 years down the track, whereas he's thinking of something 30 years down the track. Exactly, exactly. And
1: have a look at the advisor's qualifications and the types of clients they assist. So who's their target market? Um, How is it they can assist them? So for example, like if a client has a self-money super fund and they want to look for a new advisor because they're not happy where they're at, you need to find an advisor that services clients with those funds. Like it's, you know, don't go to the advisor down the road that potentially isn't qualified, doesn't help those types of clients. They're not going to be able to give you the right advice. Mm. So that, that is important as well in regards to your situation and the expertise and the experience of that advisor.
0: What do you think the Royal Commission's done to the sector? Oh, God. <laughs> I could talk about this all day. <laughs> no, but just in, in terms of was there, was there a major change for the industry from your perspective or was it really just people go okay I feel like I'm a little bit more confident with someone such as yourself because you've got the qualifications or because you're not part of a you know bank yeah (laughs) yeah um look I think there's been some
1: major problems in the industry for a very long time um and I think now we're only just starting to address them um I think the Royal Commission will have a very positive... um, It will bring positive aspects to the industry because it will, one, raise education standards. So, obviously, being a younger advisor, I've got all of the education, um, but there are advisors out there that may have heaps of experience, but just you know, aren't keeping up to date with that education piece. I'm surprised there um, isn't a
0: sort of CPD credit Oh, we, we all
1: have to do CPDs. Oh, it's there is. just the level of extra accreditation that these advisors need to do mm. um, to get them back into the, the mindset of, of studying and sort of, you know, developing their knowledge and, and all of that, mm-hmm. which I think is actually a great thing because um, I know from my parents, they've been stuck in business for a very long time and you can often get somewhat complacent to what's going on outside of outside of your industry because you're doing well. Um, so I think, like, it will be a great thing for our industry to actually raise th- those education standards. Um, but I think there will also be a lot of advisors that leave the industry um, as a result because like the government really has a job to do in, in getting that balance correct mm-hmm. um, so that it doesn't just, you know, stop a lot of business owners from running their business and, you know, they're a- they're able to actually meet those standards. Yeah, But I think once we implement the higher education standards, <laughs> then people will start to see our industry as more of a profession and they'll start to... We'll we'll start to get that trust back because the royal commission has just sort of damaged all of that. You know, they've exposed um, all of the negative things that were happening at these banks and, and larger organisations, and obviously that needed to occur. But now we've got a, re- a really big job to do to make sure that we can actually re- rebuild that trust with our with our clients. And look, there's so many small business owners out there that aren't linked to these bigger organisations, and some of them have actually suffered as a result. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: I suppose uh, you know any any negative um, feedback or negative adverti- uh, sorry media content is always going to have an effect on on any industry really. so like you said, you've just got to build it up from a foundation once again. Yeah, exactly. And be one of the good guys. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it's <laughs> funny that I said that because I wanted to talk to you today about what it's like to be a young entrepreneur female in yeah. an extremely male-dominated industry.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> How do you, is that is that what the meetup group is? How have you positioned yourself and do you find that intimidating? Because I have to say, as a woman, I would also, I would be incredibly intimidated, um, Uh, that's just maybe my personality, but it's, it's, it's amazing that you've got to where you are with a fantastic client base in a male dominated world. Have you let that affect you or do you kind of just brush it off or is it a thing that I'm just looking at and saying that's happening, but you're like, no, it's not, it's fine.
1: Okay. Look, um...
0: I don't mind men.
1: <laughs> I get on with them really well. Um, I think some of the opportunities that I've had in my life, um, especially for my family, have actually come from men. So I don't see that in a negative way. I actually prefer connecting with them sometimes as well over women, depending on the situation. Um, but look, as soon as I started taking my business more seriously, I started to realise that most of the people in my life were actually men. So, um, funny, you know, funny that. um, I just find it very difficult to find other ambitious females on the same path, especially in the industry as well. And Um, especially at your age. Exactly, Mm, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, But I think I probably was a bit intimidated when I first got started. Um, But when I moved to Sydney, I was just in the mindset of putting myself out there, meeting new people and... Um, you know, networking and mm. developing that profile. So I think over time I just developed skills to be able to, you know, to, to handle being around a bunch of men uh, <laughs> and to be confident as well because, you know, when I was first starting out, I, I did actually find it very intimidating to, you know, to deal with my, my boss and, and uh, very strong strong men. But I think just over time... I've learned that you know, I've got my confidence up. I yeah, I've, I've developed my skill set, and I really have nothing to worry about now. Oh, that's um, some
0: interesting insights, Sarah. That's, that's really great because I think um, as more and more females go into entrepreneurship and go into industries that might be currently dominated, they need to start finding their own path and, and mm-hmm. feeling the confidence that you do. Um, that means it's not they're not affected by it. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters and we'll be back after this. You are listening to Triple H and the CRN Community Radio Network across Australia. So we're talking today to Sarah Harding, who is a financial advisor with Why Advice. And the reason why I brought her on the program was to talk about her use of the platform Meetup. Um, This was something that I was quite impressed with. Those who are regular listeners will know I'm a serial networker. Love it. I just love talking to people, really. (laughs) It's not (laughs) about growing my business. It's just about having a chat. Um, And I really appreciated your event and how well it was run. Great speakers. um, Very well organised. Love the use of the meetup platform um, and was impressed by the fact that you've been doing it for a long time. So a lot of people kind of come along, they do a flash in the pan, they do one or two events. Uh, has it been an integral part to the success of, of building your profile? Yeah, I think it. Um,
1: it's really gotten my name out there. It's really sort of built my profile and it's it's really helped me with my business. It's also helped me with my confidence as well, public speaking, um, but just it's given me skills to collaborate with others, you know, develop relationships, like all of all of those extra add-ons that you don't think running an event will actually help you with. Um, but I guess my journey, I um, when I moved to Sydney, other than my family, I didn't know anybody. So, um, and I always knew I wanted to start a business and I knew from my parents' experience that starting a business and being successful is actually... Having the ability to put yourself out there and develop those relationships, um, so I guess I just stumbled upon Meetup. I, I was using it in Brisbane, but the Brisbane market's definitely very different to Sydney, and there was probably like one event every two, two or three months. So I didn't really get on board with it there, but sort of decided to to have a look at it and to uh, yeah to use it when I sort of started out here in Sydney. So my event started off being really, really casual with a bunch of my friends that were really, I think, only there to get drunk. Um, at <laughs> they, were being, they were um, being supportive. Yes, yes, very supportive, um, but was also very distracting also. So, um, so, yeah, I sort of started there and started using the meetup platform and just as a way to get people to register. So I knew who would come along and to continue to keep engaging with those people as well. So, um, so I guess from there it just grew. So all I grew, I sort of started to, to learn what was working and what wasn't working. Um, and people would come and give me some advice and feedback based on, you know, other events I were going to. And I'd, I'd always listen to that. So, um, from there I sort of just, just learned and grew. Um, To a point where I realised probably about a year and a half ago that the more work you put in and the better run your event is and the more you actually you know, put in the effort to get people, great people into the room, the more success you're actually going to have out of these events. So, um, but that came after, I don't even know how many events I did before I realised that, um, probably about 10. Um, But yeah, I sort of realised that, you know, if I do take this a bit more seriously, if I give the event a bit more structure, um, if I sort of tap into not only my network, but, you know, networks of other people that would be presenting, um, you get a much better outcome but you also to, to develop that client that, that database you need to be consistent. So you need to be consistently you know sharing value and, and helping. So every time I run an event, I think now how can I help these people like how can I add value to these people? So I don't I don't really try and think how can I sell more or how can I get you know get, get another client? It's about how can I best, provide value to, to people coming because you just never know where your clients are going to come from someone could come to an event um, and listen to what you have to say go home and tell you know a friend or a family member and then all of a sudden they may need your help but if you've just sort of thought about it, as in, you know, I need to sell to these people or I need to get, um, you know, so many sales from the event, then you're almost going to miss that authenticity and you're probably going to put a lot of people off and then that becomes your reputation. Um, And Sydney, like, even though I, I grew up in Gladstone, which was very small, Sydney's starting to become very small. So you just have to always think about, like, what you're saying and how you're saying it, and how that will be interpreted by others, because that will get you the best results because reputation's everything, honestly, like <laughs>
0: and that's that's a really good point you make there because it's almost, the way you approach any form of, I and mean, let's face it, it is a kind of a way of advertising yourself mm. and, and building your reputation. Mm. The way you approach that has to be thought out. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with making mistakes along the way. Oh, definitely. Do you <laughs> find people can be quite forgiving or do people kind of turn up to these events and go, mm, that was crap, I'm never coming back again?
1: <laughs> Look, you might get a bit of that to begin with <laughs> and you've just got to deal with that. I've um, I've had some pretty... <laughs> Pretty bad events. Uh, I will admit, like where I've been sick, I haven't been able to get any help. I haven't really marketed the event really well, so hardly anyone turns up. Then I've probably done it at a bar, so attracting the wrong types of people that aren't really there to learn anything; are just there to get drunk, um, you know. But I think it's important to just learn. Like sometimes when you know you have the pain of like you know annoying somebody, that gives you the motivation to mm. make sure you don't do that next time. Mm. You know what mm. I mean? You you almost need that level of failure. To be driven towards that 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 successful outcome, because go- you know, sort of, you know how to how to sort of structure that next time.
0: And it goes to what you were saying before about the importance of being empathetic mm. as a as a business owner towards looking at these people who are sitting in the room almost as though they're not necessarily your potential clients, but they are your clients at the time that they're sitting there. Yeah, yeah. Because they're absorbing your energy and you need to be able to read the room and see what their responses are to maybe a couple of awkward things that you say. Your brain goes, oh, won't say that again. (laughs) The way the room just reacted wasn't so great. Exactly. Yeah. But but I think as well,
1: like people want the really great um, event outcome
0: to begin with. What do you think they want? I mean, this is a real pearl because you've run so many of these events. If I was out there and I wanted to start one of these things for the reason that you have in building my profile and giving to the community and giving people great content, who do I want to come to this event and what do I want them to get out of it? Have a big think about who you actually want to attract
1: and how your event can be positioned to attract those people. So for example, running an event, I've seen this, running an event and I've done it at a bar. So the types of people you're most likely going to attract are people that, you know, love to, you know, go out to bars after after work. or And if that's not the type of person that you're trying to attract to the event, is that the best place to have the event? So it's really thinking through um, who's my target client? Who, who do I really want in the room? And how can we best get those people in the room? So is a breakfast event better? Um, is a lunchtime event better? You know, when when is best for these people to come? And then where is best to... Ha- to house those people, to actually attract them to come as well. Mm. So, just thinking through that audience piece will, I think, help you attract more of who you actually want in the room as well. But I had, like, that took me quite a while to to, to sort of figure that out and to to learn through my mistakes to to be able to understand that as well. But I, like I said before. I find that people want all of that knowledge and experience and success straight up. So what happens is they start their meetup group and they run one or two. They learn a couple of things, but then it's like, I'm not getting any outcomes from this. So it's not working. So... I don't think you can really have or should have that attitude. I think you should just learn from your events, refine and keep going and you'll be surprised at the traction you actually develop over time but nothing happens overnight. Like it's mm. just not the way business works.
0: And it looks crappy if you've just run two events because those two events under your name oh, exactly, sit yeah. there start. People start to
1: judge you that you're somebody that doesn't follow through as well and that's really important because if you want – to be successful in business, it's all about your characteristics as well and the type of person that you are and, you know, because people look at that, you're out there on display. Like,
0: (laughs) Welcome to the interweb. Yeah. (laughs) So talk to me about the cost because um, should anyone coming into it be thinking that they're going to make a profit or should they be walking into it assuming they're going to make a slight loss on each of these things and what would be a budget of a city-based event Mm with say 30 to 50 people in the room, uh, what can you expect it to cost you? Because what what's the audience expectations, first of all, when it comes to catering? Yep. And um, what can you expect it to cost you?
1: Yeah, look, I think people don't expect these events to be that well catered. But the better you can cater these events, the more success I think you're going to have as well, because people, it, it, it's basically comfort. People come and they know they're going to get really great food. Um, but at the same time I've overcated in the past and I've been like, why have I spent so much on, you know, on, on food when people just don't want to eat? So it's, it's, it's a really hard one, but look, I think 30 to 50 people in the room, like the price point would probably be between 10 and $50 depending on, you know, how great your speakers are or, you know, how, how well you can engage people before the event and the time of the year. Um, but, but yeah, I just, it's a hard one. Look, I think you're doing well starting out if you don't make a loss and it doesn't cost you. But I had to run events for free, which was a lot of, um, a lot of my time and, you know, a lot of resources for a while to be able to sort of get the traction in my database to be able to charge for an event. Mm. Um, I now run events at WeWork, which I'm a member of. So that obviously has a certain cost as well. Cause I, you know, use their room and their facility. Um, but I think you just have to put in that work to get the traction, so to get the word of mouth before you can, and, and the skill set before you can start charging. Because if I go to a paid event, I expect that that event will be well run. Mm-hmm. There'll be great speakers. There may potentially be some catering. Um, you know, I'm there for networking purposes, so I want to network with some really great businesses. So there's that level of expectation there if you are starting to charge. Yeah. And if you don't have that confidence and that skill set yet, free events. Can work so that you get that confidence and you refine your skill set and you learn as you go.
0: I think of one of the other things that a lot of um, people who run these events, the mistake they make is that they they cater the first three or four really well as a hook to get people to come in yep. and then you'll rock up to the fifth one and there'll be nothing there. Anyway, but the last three, I got a really good meal and now I'm just going to go home really hungry and, and that's, resentful. And that sets expectations. Um, look, I know people that run free
1: events and the catering's really not that great. Um, and as a result, they can get more people in the room. But for somebody like myself, um, I want more business owners in the room. So um, I sort of set a price. I provide a little bit more in regards to catering, um, better better room as well. Um, and obviously, I don't get as many numbers as they will, but I, fi- I tend to find that the people that come are usually more committed um, and they're usually business owners that actually want to learn something and grow versus just having anyone and everyone. Mm. So it's just a bit of a different approach based on the types of people that you want to come to your events.
0: And what about the venue? Do you think it's really important that it is a business-based venue if it's a business-based event? Yeah, definitely. So anything in a bar or like that, like I said, you're
1: going to attract those people that are either in the habit or want to go to bars after work. What about a community um, hall? Oh, I haven't actually done one at a community hall, but I think it just depends on the location of that community hall. So, like, if it was somewhere sort of... Suburban. Suburban, yeah, <laughs> and you wanted to attract Sydney-based people, then I think you're probably going to have some issues there because, you know, as soon as you hit the bridge in Sydney, people don't want to go Oh, tell me, that, so <laughs> tell me about it.
0: Tell me about it, says the person who's, who's running things on the North Shore. yeah. <laughs> So it it is, and and I guess that's something that you have to consider because a lot of people will maybe have a great event and then get disappointed with the way the next one doesn't run the same way. Mm. Um, But if you continue to be consistent and Mm. the expectation is always there and you always have great speakers, how do you find the balance? Because I think there's some groups out there that really get this wrong. How do you find the balance between the right amount of networking, right, and the right amount of speaking? Say you've got a two-hour event. Yeah, yeah. What's the golden time, the golden number for speakers versus uh, networking time?
1: Mm, good
0: question. So
1: I think when you arrive at a networking event, you want about 10 to 15 minutes to sort of settle in, have a chat to somebody next to you, but don't get too distracted. So I find if you have too much networking time at the start, people get too involved in their conversations uh, with others that they meet and then all of a sudden you've lost them. So um, probably about 15, 20 minutes max Mm -hmm. so that people can sort of sit down, relax, say hi to some friends that they may know there. Um, Then you get started. Um, Then generally... probably wouldn't have presentations longer than about 45 minutes to an hour with consistent breaks throughout. Because what I tend to find is that, especially if it's an after hours event, people need to stretch their legs, get up. Because they fall asleep. Exactly. Yeah. So you need to
0: keep like having those breaks. That's what I really so, liked actually that remi- you've just reminded me when I attended your event that's what I really appreciated about the structure I liked the way you had little breakout sessions so yes. we had little activities or things to talk about with the person next to us and not just the person next to us but you forced us to stand up hmm. and walk around the room and then you were quite uh strict about when getting getting people to sit back down exactly yeah it's almost like you know curating a classroom exactly yes of <laughs> You have to keep
1: everyone on the, on the agenda. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, then you'd have the speaker, you'd, you'd, you'd do all of that sort of stuff. And then at the end, um, look, I'd probably, depends on how far the, or, um, how late the event goes, but usually about half an hour at the end so that people can sort of, um, you know, have a chat, meet some new people and then you start wrapping things up. So, um, but I'm, I'm finding now that because I'm, we're, we're helping business owners and attracting more business owners into the room, our events don't run as late. Whereas when you do them at bars, because people associate that, you know, it's social, people want to stay around till 10, 30, 11 at night because they're there to get drunk or mm. they're there to have wine. Or So it's much harder for you to keep that strict agenda mm. because it's a more casual tense or, you know, sense. Even pubs, bars, anywhere you, where you can hold that room, people associate I know people associate getting drunk with your event and sometimes that can actually deter from what you're trying to do there. And that's not a great reputation
0: builder, is it? Exactly, yeah. And mm. I had to obviously go through that to to realise and come out the other end. Beginning to see that was one of your big learning curves. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Don't, don't use a bar. <laughs> don't use, yeah. Unless uh, that's the sort of unless, people yeah. and, and unless and that's th- the vibe you want to have. Exactly, and that
1: the activities that you're doing, you know, resonate with those types of people, then yeah, go for it. Mm. But if you are focusing on business and you're a bit more serious about that and it's more to do with like personal development getting outcomes helping people with their challenges you need to have a more professional tense i think with those events
0: Mm. we're just going to take a quick break here on small Business matters with alexi boyd we'll be back after these community service announcements And you are live and local here in uh, Triple H 100.1 FM with Alexi Boyd and Small Biz Matters. Uh, We've been talking to Sarah Harding from Why Advice all about her experience with the platform which is Meetup and how she's used that as a tool to not only grow her reputation and her online presence, but also to build great events. Sarah, tell me when you were um, beginning this journey of, of using meetups as as an opportunity to create networking events with which to brand yourself. Mm. Did you envisage that they would be this successful, you know, at this length of time down the track? Did you expect it to happen faster? Did you expect yourself to get this sort of reputation or were you just using it as a, let's see what happens?
1: Well, (laughs) I think this comes back to my personality, as my mum says. Um, I'm somebody that really follows through with what they say and I've always had that type of personality. So I think starting out, I always wanted to follow through with running really great events and adding that value. Um, So I think from the expectation of having them be more successful sooner – Definitely, I think as a millennial, we all want everything yesterday. So, um, but I think this is one of the hardest things to get right in business is to predict how fast it's going to take you to get somewhere, or how much time, or effort, or energy it's going to take you to get to that next level. Or uh, for the growth to to occur, mm-hmm. um, but that's one of the hardest things I think in business to predict. Um, hence, why I think it's really good to ensure you've got the right support around you, like uh, through professionals, accountants, advisors, to keep you on track for that. Because it's very easy to get off track if things don't happen as soon as you know as soon as you want them to. Um, so I think it's really important to to have that accountability and find that right support network that really keeps you on track to those, to the goals that you set for yourself, um, to help you
0: actually implement what you want to implement. Um, what was your your goal in the beginning when you started these meetup groups? What did you see this as?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I guess it was a way to brand myself, to get myself out there. Um, it was also a way for me to get in, in front of more people to help more people as well. Um, because I think, Working one-on-one with people is great, but it doesn't get you the same results as getting in front of an audience of well, people. That's just not very
0: good in time management, Exactly, really. time management.
1: Yeah, exactly. So do you want to sit one-on-one with everybody and, uh, you know, over 10 years and whatever? Whereas if you get in front of a bigger audience and you're more targeted and more specific, you're more likely to create relationships, more more, more likely that people are going to actually speak about you and those opportunities will come faster Mm. than if you just did one-on-one forever.
0: So it's kind of like accelerating not only your brand but getting out there and 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 talking to more people at once. That's business. You have to get out there. Um, I learnt that from my
1: personal experiences at home with my family. You know, like the most profitable years of my family's business was when my dad was out there creating relationships, putting in the work. Um, And then I think people get somewhat complacent when they reach success. So you've got to keep coming back to where you're at and what you need to do to grow to that next level. And I really do think that that will change as you grow. So, um, you know, like the meetup platform. As I grow and develop my events, we may look at other platforms that are better suited for the types of clients we've got. But it was great to get started. So it was a great home and a database to connect with people and keep in touch with people. Um, And I'm actually finding it quite difficult to find other platforms where you can actually do that as well. So um, so you've really, and, and that comes back to business, you've really got to look at your systems and processes and make sure you're up to date and keep up to date with those in your business.
0: How are you going to take it to the next level now that you've had this success um, are you planning on making them bigger? Are you planning on implementing different types of processes to make them a better event? What, where do you yeah, see yeah. You going so from now? Yeah, yeah. So I've
1: I've actually launched a membership uh, for the for the event, so people can come and join the group, have the ability to present, um, you know, come and connect with other business owners, add value, and I that was sort of born out of the fact that. Um, I think in business, it's very important to keep up to date with what's going on out there. So from a marketing perspective, sales, finance, all of that sort of stuff, um, you just have to keep up to date. And when you're so busy running your business, often that can get left behind. Um, so the what I want the group or where I sort of see the group going is that there'll be a number of different businesses from a number of different industries that That come and join and come to the networking events, collaborate, and it can really just be a great community of people helping each other in business. Um, I am hiring a videographer as well, so I'm going to spend some money really marketing the events and and getting them out there to the public and making them, you know, look attractive and engaging and all of that sort of stuff, Um, and just taking the events to the next level. I'll probably still have a cap on how many people I want to come to the events. Um, so you're not looking at becoming bigger than Ben Hur. Do you think, <sighs> where does that where, Look, what's I the think cap? I think I would love to contribute to events like that but I don't see the group Going to be that size because I still have my financial advice business that I'm running as well. Oh yeah, that thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I love working with my clients. So, um, so the the events and the community and the value that we're we're creating at at those events will definitely become part of my service offering for my clients. Um, But at the same time, they need to be manageable. So you don't want to grow. Too big, too soon, and all—all all of a sudden, just burn a whole heap of people. Because um, I've seen that happen as well.
0: It, it's very interesting the way you're you're speaking because clearly, when you started the events, it wasn't that you went right. I envisage them getting to this size, and I envisage having these sort of speakers and this sort of thing happening, and then I envisage um, going to this, getting to this stage by this date. It sounds as though it's really evolved, mm. and in doing that, you've. Um, implemented change along the way depending on which way it's going but how do you and I guess this is the slow burn question isn't it mm-hmm. how do you recognize when something is suddenly going to become your main business as opposed to your client work mm-hmm. when do you flick the switch and so down your tools with your other do you think you could ever do that do you think well, well, these think events will become a core business for you?
1: Well I think it comes back to um what I actually love doing in my business and doing what I love doing in my business and outsourcing the rest. So it's building a business that's scalable, that has staff and employees that have systems and processes to manage that work so that you can spend more time doing the things that you love. And I think- in my eyes success in business is that so if you're stuck doing things that you hate obviously something's going wrong there you need to obviously outsource or you know hire a professional coach or whatever but you need to have a look at what you're doing because i i honestly feel like success in business is doing what you love what you're passionate about and for me that's obviously you know contributing here and going to events and running events and being in front of people so i need to find a way to build a business that allows me to do that.
0: Mm. Well, that's, uh, that's a really good way to sum up actually. So I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show today, Sarah. It's okay. been fascinating to hear how you've implemented Meetup in uh, in this, uh, this way of building your brand online, but also how you've taken the skills you've developed generationally and brought them through to your business as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd here on Triple H and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you've missed any of today's program, you can, of course, catch up by subscribing to Small Biz Matters on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, you can also listen to over 120 of these fabulous podcasts on our website and YouTube channel smallbizmatters.com.au. Thanks very much for listening today. We'll be back next week with another great guest. This has been Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd.